This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Father, no, no condemnation now we dread that Jesus and all in him is ours. And Father, as we approach your holy scriptures together, would you reveal to us your word and the person of Jesus? And may we see him and be forever changed. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Daddy. Psst, Daddy. It's this um, call that we hear at the side of our bed about once every month. Daddy. And, and typically when I open my eyes, and I'm a pretty hard sleeper, and so it takes a little bit to wake me up, or at least that's what I'd like my wife to think when the kids are crying at night, but I really am. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, and when I wake up, I typically see this three-and-a-half-year-old girl standing as close to my face as she can. And during the day, she's really cute. But at night, she's terrifying because her hair is in her face. She looks like Cousin It. And I open my eyes to this, Daddy, Daddy. And my first response is, Dear Lord, get away from me. <laughs> right? Daddy, can I come sleep in bed with your mom. And you know, that sounds like a romantic idea before you have kids. And so you're like, sure, come on, hop in bed. And so she does, and she's in between us. And slowly, somehow, throughout the night, and if you're a parent, you know this, something happens throughout the night where kids have this, and it's impossible for them to lie on a bed correctly. And she starts to turn throughout the evening. And as we go further and further through the night, she's perpendicular to the bed. And her head is typically towards uh, my wife and her feet start to knead on my back. You know this, any, any other parent, am I, I'm not alone in this, am I okay? And so here's what happens, and I don't know how it happens, but it does. I start to inch my way closer and closer to the edge, and somehow this really, really cute 35-pound, three-and-a-half-year-old forces me out of space that is rightfully mine. And I'm holding on to the edge of the bed for dear life until I finally have this like epiphany moment of what in the world am I doing with my life, right? So I carry her back to bed and I get back in it. But this this little tiny three and a half year old cute girl has this way of just invading our space. She sees this little crack when we're sleep deprived and she just works her way in there. And slowly works us out. (laughs) You're going, all right, Paulson, what does that have to do with anything? Other than it's just a fun story. Well, Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think the gospel works in a similar fashion. I think the gospel works in a similar fashion. That has this beautiful way of invading. Invading. That, that That it comes into the hearts of people like you and me. And then God in his wisdom and in his glory sends people like you and me, broken clay pots into the world that his kingdom might start to invade. 
that it might start to claim space as its own. See, I think in many ways, at least in Western evangelicalism, we've sort of dumbed down the gospel and we've done, dumbed down salvation to simply be a personal response to the grace of God, which it is that, but it's not only that. In fact, listen to the way that the Apostle Paul describes the salvation, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you walk in this morning. Now, just a quick time out. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. Because what I want to do is I want to invite you sort of behind the scenes to see the way that this kingdom works and this kingdom invades. And I want to invite you to ask a simple question. Is there any reason why you wouldn't want to be part of this kingdom? Here's what Paul says in the book of Colossians. He says, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain, the power, the stronghold of darkness. And he's transferred us to the, what's the word? Kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here's what Paul says, that not only were you forgiven, but you were transferred You were taken out of one kingdom, out of one power, out of one reign, and you were brought into another one. And here's what we're going to look at today. If you walk in that kingdom, and just a simple, brief definition of what that kingdom is, it's the place where Jesus reigns and has his way. That's what the kingdom of God is. As you live in that kingdom, did you know that you bring that kingdom with you? Wherever you go, if you show up and you're a kingdom person, his kingdom shows up. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but God's desire, he invites us. Hey, 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 pray, pray that this kingdom, his kingdom of light, of love, of grace, of mercy, of redemption, of wholeness, of peace, of goodness, that his kingdom, we're invited to pray would take more ground. Listen to the way that we just prayed it in Matthew chapter nine, or chapter six, verses nine and 10. Jesus invites us to pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed or holy or lifted high, be your name. Your what? Kingdom come. And your what? Your will be done. The effective rule and reign of Jesus. He says, pray for it. Pray for it. You know what else he said? He said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says, repent, turn back. For the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. So, not some distant, far off, ethereal land that we might get to someday, somehow. But Jesus says, my kingdom is here, is here. He displayed his kingdom. Listen to the way that it says it in the book of Luke chapter nine, verses one and two, and the different components of what it looks like when his kingdom shows up. And it says, and he called the 12, these are the disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. 
And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So he says, all right, you're kingdom people. And because you're kingdom people, I'm giving you kingdom power. And when you show up, kingdom power shows up with you. And when it does, things happen. Two things primarily it says in this passage. One is that demons are cast out. Two, that people are healed. So you see these two components of kingdom, living kingdom people that kingdom people bring. Spiritual freedom, physical healing. And he says, here, here's the deal. Followers of Jesus, here's the deal. I've transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And my main way, he says, my main way of bringing the kingdom, of fulfilling the prayer that we prayed today is you. Is you showing up and bringing with you the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about your mission on earth like that? Have you ever thought about your mission on earth like that? Because that's the big idea that we're going to look at in this passage today is that God's kingdom always invades through God's people. The same kingdom that Jesus talked about in the gospels that the, that the disciples and apostles preach about in the book of Acts still is taking ground today. And the main way it does it is through you. Let me show you some of what this looks like in the book of Acts as God's kingdom starts to uh, take root and starts to gain ground on earth as it is in heaven. Acts chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 32 and we're going to see two pictures of kingdom invasion, okay? Two pictures of kingdom invasion this morning. Starting in verse 32, we're going to shift back to um, Peter being the main character we follow in our story of the book of Acts. But remember, remember, we started this series off 20 weeks ago, so you may not remember. I'll remind you. Remember that the book of Acts is all that Jesus continues to do through his church. All that Jesus continues to do, that he started in his life, that he invited his church to in his death and the descending of his spirit, that the early disciples lived out, and that you and I are part of today. It's what he continues to do, is build his kingdom. Verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Notice the continuity of the story. This is all that Jesus began to teach and do. It's continued in the book of Acts. And so he says, Peter says, Jesus tells you, rise and make your bed. Now, that's awesome. Okay, because here's what we just saw. Not only is God interested in your physical well-being, but he's also highly concerned with your manners. Okay? Get up. You better make that bed. Because God is the God of order. Now, some wives are elbowing their husbands. See, I told you. Okay? 
We don't need to go there this morning, though. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Story number two. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated, which translated means Dorcas. It's like, thank you for that translation. It's fine with Tabitha, but the name means gazelle. And she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they'd washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, this was a woman who was a stalwart matriarch in the society. Many think that the money that she generated economically went to provide for many widows. She was a huge person in this little town. It says, and Peter put them all outside. And he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, don't you wish there was a few more details given? I mean, sometimes we get a lot of details about things where you go, could have done without that. This is one of those times where I'm going, just a little more. Like, and what did she say? Anything, like maybe, why'd you, why'd you have to go and pray that? Right? I mean, wouldn't you love to hear what comes out of her mouth? We don't get that though. And he gave her his hand, Peter did, and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, the tanner. I want to propose to you that what's going on in these passages this morning is far more than a description of healings. I want to propose to you that what's going on is an invasion. An invasion of the kingdom of God starting to take place, starting to gain ground, starting to claim areas and peoples of his own. And the way that God pushes forward this kingdom in these passages is through a man. His name is Peter. And the way that God will push forward his kingdom, his light, his goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy in areas of your life is through you. Because God's kingdom always invades through God's people. And I just want to point out what happens to you in this passage as the kingdom of God and when the kingdom of God invades Because I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that carries with me the kingdom. And here's the first thing that we see. We see that when the kingdom of God invades, community starts to eclipse, it starts to wipe out autonomy. When the kingdom of God starts to take root, people's individualistic endeavors start to take second place to the communal movement of God. Look at this verse in chapter 9, verse 38 with me. It says this, Since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come without delay. 
I love this picture of the early church. The early church that says, hey, we're not in this alone, but we're in this together. The early church that says we're willing to walk an extra mile for one another. The early church that says, I'm going to fight on your behalf for your betterment that you might know King Jesus all the more. And you see, kingdom always invades. God, kingdom always invades as the people of God link arms and link hearts and say, we aren't in this alone. We're in this together. A few weeks ago, I read this story. I don't, you may have seen the story as well about a man in Perth, Australia, who was getting onto one of their subways, onto the train. And as he was stepping into the door, he fell in the crack in between the train and the platform, and he was stuck. Anybody read this? So there's this man that sees him, and this man alerts the authorities, hey, stop the train. And then what he does is he organizes everybody on the train onto one side of the train to tilt the weight. And then he gathers everybody who's there, and he says, come on, we can do this. And they start to rock the subway back and forth. I can imagine him going, ow, ow. Like, pull it out. And so, but finally, finally, they're able to move this subway. So he pops out. So every month or so, you're going to hear me say, you need to be in a small group. You need to be in a life group. And it's not because we long to build a great program here. It's simply because we know that there's going to be times in your life where you are pinned. And the way that God is going to get you loose, the way that he's going to bring freedom, probably isn't by calling the church office. My hope is the way that he brings you freedom is by calling your life group. And that they would be the type of people that would say, we're in this together, you're known, you're valued, you're loved here, and we are going to fight on your behalf. I love it that these disciples are so caught up with the person that Dorcas was, that they say, come on, let's go. Let's chase after any sort of help and any sort of hope that we can muster up. Would you look at, just look at that picture. I, I want that for you. Not for you to be pinned, <laughs> not, not that. I want you surrounded by people who love you, who know you, and who are willing to fight on your behalf. You see, kingdom movements, kingdom significance always happens as the people of God gather around one another. And they say we're better together than we are alone. See, the second thing we see is that engagement, as the kingdom invades, engagement starts to eradicate ambivalence. Both of these stories, I'm struck by the fact that Peter has this opportunity. He has this choice to make. He has this fork that he comes to in the road. Will I hear the cry and walk by, or will I engage and press in? And can we just all agree at the onset, it's far easier to just walk by. Occasionally at at night, Kelly and I will be sitting down in our living room and either reading or or watching TV and and we'll hear that cry, that dreaded 10.30, 11 o'clock cry coming from one of the rooms upstairs. 
And she'll say something to me like, hey, is that one of the kids crying? And if we're watching TV, I'll grab the remote and I will turn up the volume and go, no, I don't hear that. And she'll say, no, will you hit mute for just a second? And I will for a second. Nope, back on as quick as I can. As some of you do this when you're driving in the car, the check engine light comes on or you hear the tick and instead of taking it in, you just go, let's just turn the radio up. That'll fix it, right? I think some of us live our lives that way where we hear the pain, we hear the cries of the people around us. Maybe it's at work, in our families. And those conversations are uncomfortable, aren't they? And we may not have all the answers, And so sometimes we just walk by. I started to think about what makes Peter different. I think here's what makes Peter different. He walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus for three plus years. He saw him get interrupted time and time again. And he responded. Listen to the way that Mark records it in his gospel for us. It says, and when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, what's the word? Compassion on them. Just a quick time out. Is is that present in your life? When people are hurting, is there part of your heart that hurts? See, distinctive of people who bring with them and carry the kingdom. They see that. They enter in like Jesus did. It says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he, Jesus, began to teach them. To give them hope. To speak life into them. See, kingdom movements, kingdom impact, kingdom invasion never happens from a distance. It happens as kingdom people live their lives in the same way that Jesus lived. I love the way that Frederick Buchner puts it when he says this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hurt meet. The place God invites you to engage is the place where he opens your eyes to see your gladness and to see the world's hurt. And he says, that's where I invite you. Will you press in there? So are you a person that's turning up the noise? that's turning up the music and doing your best to walk by. And none of us would probably say that, but maybe just maybe God will stir something in our hearts this morning to say, yeah, there's, there's a piece of us that's there. See, God brings his kingdom through his people as they walk with him. And can I just say, some of the things that God's brought you through, some of the hurt, some of the pain, some of the regrets, The things that if you could go back and hit rewind on life and redo, some of those things that God has brought you through are some of the biggest, most significant gifts he wants to give through you. Because he says, as I've comforted you, you'll be a comfort to other people. Will you, are you willing to use some of those pains to be other people's freedoms? So Peter, he decides he's not going to walk by and he walks towards this deeply painful situation. I love this passage, verse 38. Listen to it again with me. It says, and since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him urging 
Please come without delay. Well, I started to think, what's the hurry? Right, right? I mean, Tabitha, Dorcas, she's dead. What's the hurry? I mean, she's not going to get more dead. Right? Hurry up and get here. She's dead. Wait, what? (laughs) And more like, hey, take your time. She died. And here's what we see. Here's what we start to get this, this veil that's pulled back into the life of the early church. They had this conviction because many of them saw Jesus walk out of the grave that the end of the story is not the end of the story. And I think many of us, myself included, we just tap out a little bit too early. We read the news, we listen to the radio, we hear the state of our world, and we just naturally go towards pessimism. And one of the distinctives of the kingdom is this, that hope replaces fatalism. Even though she's dead... The disciples have this conviction that's not the end of the story. My God is able. My God is able. I love the way that the great pastor and author Eugene Peterson puts it when he says this, hope commits us to actions that connect us with God's promises. Hope commits us to walking in such a way where we say we believe the words of these scriptures And it's going to change the way that we walk. And so, God, we're going to go out on some limbs, quote unquote, and we're going to trust you. And even when it doesn't seem like there's any way, even when the marriage seems over, even when the relationship seems broken, even when it seems like the kids just aren't coming home, the job's not going to come through, we will not resort to fatalism. We will be a people of hope. Because you cannot separate living a life of faith with living a life of hope, they're intertwined. And God's greatest invitation to you and I is to be people of faith and people of hope who look at the desperate, dire situations in our life and think, my God is able. Now, that's easy to say on Sunday morning. (laughs) Isn't it? I mean, we can gather together and go, yes and amen. If we were more charismatic, you probably would have. Because that was good, okay? Go yes and amen. Which it's, you can do that here, just so you know. Here's your pass. You can say amen, that's fine. I actually enjoy that little banter. But the problem with that is how does it translate into quote-unquote real life? Because many of us, we've walked through situations didn't turn out like Acts chapter 9. Listen, I'm with you. As a leader on a backpacking trip, I held one of my own students as he died. And I cried out to God, even as the coroner came to get him. God, you're, you're able. God, this, this, isn't, this isn't too big for you, God. And I can't answer all the questions that you have about this passage. Heck, I can't answer all the questions I have about it. Here's what I can tell you. 
A good framework of theology is differentiated from a bad framework of theology, and a bad framework of theology says one of two things. Either God never heals, or God always heals this side of heaven. A good theology says Jesus still heals. Hey, hey, we could go through story after story. He does, I pro- he does. Still heals. And so we're gonna be people that, ha- that trust him in that. And say, God, I don't know why sometimes you choose yes and sometimes you choose no and sometimes you say wait. But here's what we do know. At South Fellowship Church, we will be a people who do not take some no's as all no's, Okay? So we're going to keep pounding on the door of heaven, asking God, God, would you move? God, would you work? God, we long to see things like this happen here. And we are going to be a people that trust you because you're not a genie in a bottle that we can rub and have it turn out the way that we want to. You are the almighty king of heaven. And we invite you work, move. We want to be a people of hope. So to that end, just a quick timeout. After the service, we're going to invite uh, those of you that are hurting, those of you that are in pain, those of you that have situations in your life where you need healing. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward after, not right now, um, after. And I'm going to invite you to come up. We'd love to pray for you. Physical healing, emotional, mental, whatever. We'd love to pray for you. Because we are not a fatalistic people that believe that God has wound up the clock and just let it go, but that he is deeply and passionately involved today, now, here. So are you the type of person that carries with you this kind of hope? That says that Jesus is not dead, that he's not distant, that he's not silent, that he's not uninterested, but rather that he is alive and he's continuing to do what he started while he walked this earth. Verse 40 says this, and Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And you see this picture the snapshot, and I long for it to be in your mind, the snapshot of people who carry the kingdom. This is their posture. Lord, you move. God, you work. We don't come in with a plan. We come in with a prayer. Peter does. He's not going, hey, God, this is what this should look like. He's simply going, God, would you use me? Would you work through me for the joy of these people, for the glory of your name? You see, as the kingdom invades, here's what you start to see. As people that carry it, they are passionately, ruthlessly dependent. This is Christian maturity. We do not grow further and further independent. The mature believer says to God, I need you more today than I did yesterday. Or maybe better said, I just recognize I need it more. So two words I just want to throw out there for you 
to toss around in your heart and mind. One is attentive. Are you attentive to the work of the Spirit in your life? Hey, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. To that still small voice, that inviting voice, that beckoning voice, would you step into kingdom work with me? Attentive and then willing. Willing. What if we started to, hey, just really, will you look at me for just a second? What if we started to actually trust the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our life? At work, in our home, at play, in our families. What if we started to trust the work, the word of the Spirit in us and move with him? It would change us. It would change us. So Peter kneels down next to Tabitha, and he what? He prays. He prays, and she opened her eyes, and when she opened him, she saw Peter. She sat up, and he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it's this beautiful picture of what Peter sows in prayer starts to be seen in the physical world. What Peter engages in the spiritual starts to show itself in the material. And this happens all the time, friends. And maybe if we sowed more in the spiritual, we would see more in the material. Just going to throw it out there. Okay, but this is what we see about kingdom movements is that prayer gives way to physical manifestation. In the same way that this spring, Kelly and I and our kids, we planted this garden and it was just seeds in the dirt. Now, as we've watered it, it started to be squash and pumpkins and strawberries and tomatoes and pep. It's, it's all these things that were sown beneath the surface start to show themselves in the physical, in the material, above ground. And see what the world would love for you to hear in our Western sort of modern mindset is that what you see is all there is. As followers of Jesus, we affirm this truth that there's far more here than we can see. And there's far more going on than we can put our finger on or that we can, with the scientific method, observe, measure, and repeat. And so as followers of Jesus who long to be people of the kingdom, what you sow in prayer, it's not a direct proportional correlation, but what you sow in prayer starts to show itself in the material world. Hey, that's why I absolutely love and need our Watchman prayer ministry that meets every single Wednesday. 6.30 in the conference room if you ever want to go. But as people who long to be the background of this church, really believing, God, what we sow spiritually, you start to manifest materially. Hey, you will never know how significant your prayers are this side of heaven. Never know. But I long for us to be a people who more and more press in to this. I love this picture. You have this man who's paralyzed and he starts to walk. You have this woman who's dead and she starts to breathe. 
And you have this picture in both of those of what it looks like when the kingdom comes. See, life starts to supplant death. When God breathes, he breathes life, he breathes hope, he breathes his goodness, his grace, his mercy, and he breathes restoration, saying the end of the story is not the end of the story. And so Jesus said things like, the enemy longs to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have, anyone? Life and have it to the full. He says that you, you were buried with Christ through death and you were raised to walk in newness of life. And so when the kingdom comes, marriages are healed, relationships are restored, joy replaces sorrow, hope replaces despair. And sometimes, I guess, the dead are even raised. And we will go, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that. Oh, we'll just come back next week. Just come back next week. Because here's what you're going to see. You're going to see people who have a testimony, story of what God's done in their life. People who will say, I was broken. I was desperate. And I was hopeless. And Jesus sought me out. And he chased me down. And they'll go under the water to picture this, paint a picture of that death, and then they'll pop out, and we'll all scream and yell and celebrate because that's the best miracle you're ever going to see. Not the baptism, but the grace and the mercy that saves a sinful person like me and you. Amen. Amen. And it's this life as the kingdom comes, like Jesus said it would and invited us to pray that it would and then gave us to walk in and be carriers of life starts to take the place of death. And you see, when God's kingdom invades, here's the litmus test of how you know it's his kingdom. Did you catch it in both of these passages? The end isn't, hey, they're healed. Awesome. The end is Jesus. The end is Jesus. He's lifted high. Word spreads about him. Not about, the, about him. His name is lifted. He is king. He heals. He restores. He is hope. And so when God's kingdom invades, people are drawn to him. That's the end. That's the goal. And that's where we're going to land this plane this morning. Jesus, we pray that your kingdom would come. That through us, as you reign in our hearts, that your will would be done. As earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. So Father, we're going we're gonna to take you at your word, believing that your kingdom is here, that it is now. And it's our goal as people that long to follow after you. It's our goal, Lord, 
to bring the kingdom in a way that you would build the kingdom through our lives. May we be people of deep and abiding presence with people that are around us in our community. Lord, may may we allow ourselves to be known and to know. Father, help us not just to be people that walk by, but that engage. Lord, to be people of hope. Where it seems like there is no way, may we remember that we have a God who walked out of the grave. And so Jesus, we're gonna trust you. We're gonna depend on you. We're gonna be people who go after you hard in prayer and who long to see you speak life into dead things. We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.